Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. Today, I have a guest that um, has had some spectacular success on Kickstarter, and I wanted to reach out because with great success, sometimes comes great challenges, and he has some challenges that I thought would be very interesting to you, my listening audience. My guest is Isaac Childress from Cephalofair Games. Isaac, thank you for joining me. Uh, hi, happy to be here. You are the project creator of two Kickstarter projects. Uh, Cephalofair Games has um, Forge War that came out a few years ago. That was what it was called, right? Yes. And then just recently, you had Gloomhaven, which uh, was a bit of a runaway success for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it was uh, came out recently, uh, a, a month or two ago. But the Kickstarter was actually about a, a year and a half ago. Okay, so the Kickstarter was a year and a half ago. The game just came out. Let's give a little bit of background to our listening audience. Isaac, you have been in the... How long have you been in the board game industry? Um, I'd say, you know, a, about three years. Okay. Uh, three or four years, like, since I first started working on Forge War and then getting that up on Kickstarter. And you do this full-time. This is your full-time job. You're one of those guys who everybody dreams of becoming, right, <laughs> that, that gets to make a, uh, their life in full-time in board games. And you've been doing that for the last three, four years as well? Uh, yeah, well, so I, I, phys- uh, sorry. I finished a, a physics PhD about two years ago, and then so since then I've been doing it full-time. So if you finished the physics PhD about two years ago and your Forge War was about three years ago, you were doing a Kickstarter campaign and a physics – excuse me, a PhD at the same time? Yeah. Uh, my my PhD advisor might not be happy to hear that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I sort of had some divided attention and it probably took me longer to finish my PhD than it would have otherwise, but, but I got it done eventually. Well, okay, and uh, that's a very interesting criteria for qualifications to start a board game uh, company is that uh, you went and got a PhD in, in physics, and then I think, you, as we were talking earlier, you had mentioned that you actually were a double major uh, early on in your uh, educational career where you majored in journalism as well as a double major. Do you kind of always yep. kind of double up this type of thing? I mean, that's like, <laughs> right, a glutton for punishment. Um, well, currently I'm, I'm just working on board games and that, that's been nice, but, but yeah, sometimes I just, I guess I have a hard time deciding what I want to do. So I just just, do everything. You just do everything. (laughs) And it looks like you do everything fairly well. And I don't mean to uh, to be any type of downplay. Gloomhaven had 5,000 backers and raised, uh, $386,000. And this was your second project and Forge War. How well did Forge War do? Uh, it was about a hundred thousand uh, dollars. We had about two thousand backers, I think, somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand. So, Isaac, I've got to ask because you, I mean, have come out of the gate raising nearly <laughs> a half a million dollars with two projects, and you just in, created a game and put it out there, and 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 suddenly it became successful. Do you have any insights? about the success let's start with forge war forge war came out three three years ago what what brought about how did you get two thousand backers and over a hundred thousand dollars for a a first-time publisher first-time game do you have any insights on that uh well i'd say the the main um ingredient for success in that project uh was 
uh, a single review uh, made by by Richard Ham of Rotto Runs Through. Sure. Um, he just, he really loved the game, and it, it brought just a, a tremendous amount of attention that I, I wasn't even expecting. Did you reach out to him to have him review the game? Uh, yeah. Well, so he. You know he's he's on board Game Geek all the time, looking at new projects and everything. So when I put the game up on Board Game Geek as as a as a game page, uh, he he just looked at it without any sort of solicitation from me, and he put it on his list of games he was looking forward to in the coming year. Um, so when it was time to send out re- review copies, I I messaged him and said, you know, I know you have this on your list. Would you be interested in me sending you? Uh, a prototype to do a run through for, and he said, "Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm looking forward to it." So, um, yeah, and it just uh, it worked out exploded well. Exploded from there, yeah. Well, we're here not to talk necessarily about Forge War. We're here to talk about Gloomhaven because Gloomhaven even surpassed that Forge War by significant amounts. But it right. also then has led to, like you said, it's been a year and a half since the Kickstarter campaign. But now demand has exploded for this game, right? Right. And yeah. you, so how many copies of the game did you print in your original run for Gloomhaven? So we printed 10,000 copies. Uh, and that was pretty much the maximum I could print with the amount of money that I had gained from the Kickstarter and also like additional sales, uh, pre-sales like through my website after the Kickstarter ended. Right. So I got a, as much money as I could and I just dumped it all into printing 10,000 copies, <clears throat> you know, making sure that I... Also had money for for shipping afterwards, um, and you know at the time I, I thought that was enough. You know there was as you said like four thousand backers during the Kickstarter, um, but we ended up selling about four thousand more copies just through pre-orders over the sort of year and a half that we you know kept doing development. Um, so I ended up with only about two thousand copies going out into distribution. And, and that distribution is always, you know, uh, we've been on the show, uh, there's many people who've been on the show that talks about the distribution versus direct, and if you want your game to be long-lived, you want it in distribution. What were one of the challenges, I think one of the things that I had heard earlier was is that, this is, first of all, this is a big game. Yeah. Right? And you, <laughs> and, and you had it listed at $120 list price and still sold nearly 5,000 copies on Kickstarter alone, and yet the game was even bigger than kind of you anticipated right right yeah when that kickstarter went up uh it was actually priced at 80 dollars, and i yeah i was maybe i don't know just a little naive in terms of everything i wanted to make and exactly how much that would be you know like i said there was still like a, a year and a half development process after that kickstarter and so in that time yeah, just getting everything in there that I wanted in there, it sort of ballooned the size of the box to something I didn't expect. Uh, made it a lot heavier than I anticipated. So, so it, um, made, it made it heavier? Did it make the box dimensions change? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, it was, it was, I was originally anticipating maybe something like half that size. Like, so, you know, still a large box, but nothing on the scale of, of what it is now. And what we've learned over the years, uh, ta- having uh, I've learned, especially with the guests that I've had on, and I, Jamie Stegbeier comes to mind, is that when it comes to shipping, the size of the box has such an impact on the cost efficiencies of shipping, right? Because you've got a yeah. container, a certain amount of boxes can go in a container, and when you increase the size that dramatically, suddenly, in, in some ways, 
the box itself is more expensive, but now the containers, the efficiencies of containers don't work because now you've gone to two containers or even three containers, which could have normally held one container. And those type of, I guess, gotchas pop up that you don't even think about. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, I learned that, yeah, when you're shipping, you know, freight shipping within a container, it, it just depends solely on the volume, right, not the weight. And so the fact that this box is so big, I mean, it's so big that we had to just only do one per carton. Um, oh so, yeah, oh, we're only... Big. That's big. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we're only able to actually fit uh, 36 boxes on a pallet. So, yeah, it ended up being a lot of freight shipping. And then uh, when I did fulfillment in the U.S., the the box itself, like the weight is 21 pounds. And I was going through Amazon, uh, and I didn't realize that, like, if you go above 20 pounds, suddenly, like, you're in a different price range. It's, like, way higher. Um, and so uh, just just shipping through Amazon was a lot more expensive than I anticipated as well. Just from like that one pound extra, it just killed me. And that's something that you haven't even, you know, you don't really even anticipate because as you're going through your Kickstarter campaign and you're pumping things in and everybody's excited, that doesn't, you know what it reminds me of is I had uh, Steve Jackson from Steve Jackson Games on the, on my show when he was doing his ogre campaign. Oh yeah. And they had the exact one box that's bigger, (laughs) The one box that's bigger. And it was so big. They actually had to shrink wrap stuff on the outside of the box because it wouldn't fit on the inside of the box. Uh, (laughs) Yes. The one box that's bigger. And so you, you learn these lessons and suddenly now that chews up all of that money that you normally would have had, right? Sure. Yeah. So my, my profits were smaller than I had anticipated, which was. So profits go down. So to, to rectify that, because that's one of the things that we're here to talk about, is that suddenly now profits were down because shipping just chewed up so much. You've got this game that came in. You, all the backers got it, right? Everybody on Kickstarter who backed it got it. Right, yeah. So, and you had a couple of thousand copies. And honestly, having been in the industry for a while, 2,500 copies for distribution is a good, solid, regular number that you can expect that to last for at least a year for a couple of years of 2,500 copies. And how long did your 2,500 copies last in distribution? Um, I don't know, like negative time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, they were... because what we're talking about, the demand, how big has demand been in distribution right now for Gloomhaven? Uh, right, so I know the, the best way I could put it, right, is that we had, I think it was like 2,200 copies, like specifically how many we had. And so, you know, the way distribution works is you sort of, I go through a distribution broker impressions and they sort of send out uh, inquiry to to all the distributors, you know, like um, how many copies do you want and, you know, how many copies are you going to buy? And so we were looking, you know, for, for that initial release. Right, so we sent out inquiries, and we ended up getting, I think it was uh, twenty five thousand whoa, 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 offers. Whoa. You're talking about a tenfold, right? Ten yeah, we times ended up more orders than what you actually had copies. Yeah, of. it ended up being like eight percent. We were only able to f- fill like eight percent of the orders that we got. So, like, if you know, if a distributor ordered. A hundred copies, like we were only able to send them eight. It was, and, uh, and the challenge here is, is that it's not like you can just like call up the warehouse and have them send over another twenty thousand copies, right? 
right? Because you know, yeah, that's, that's the nature of of the industry, right? Is that you have to gauge demand like six months before <laughs> you you actually know what the demand is. So, and I you know, have to, I have to admit, if I was in your situation and I saw that I had five thousand copies and I printed double that number and then had twenty five hundred for distribution, I'd be feeling pretty good that I got the number right. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a pretty good. You're feeling pretty good. You got the number right, and then all of a sudden to have it, the impact be so far off. And because we're not talking about, okay, well, we'll just call up the manufacturer and and, and print another twenty thousand copies, when we already know how much it costs for you to print up ten thousand copies. Right. Right. You don't yeah, have that so, kind of money just sitting around. Yeah, like I said, like the profits weren't as high as I expected. So yeah, I, I definitely didn't have enough money to to just turn around and immediately print off yeah those other twenty thousand copies or whatever that we needed. And and, and to be fair, those pre orders aren't necessarily the accurate number of copies that are in demand, right? Because sure, right, yeah. Right? And so, like, go ahead. Oh yeah, I mean, I I had accidentally sort of made it public, like how many how many retail copies we had. Um, and so people who were paying attention knew that number was going to be small and then they, they weren't going to get their full orders. So they ordered, you know, maybe two or three times what they actually wanted, um, so that they could get more copies because they knew that (laughs) that that was going to be the limitation. So in an attempt to make the problem better, uh, to solve the problem, that, that caused the problem to get worse. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Again, another one of those unintended consequences where you think you're doing the right thing and then suddenly there is a little bit of complexity here. So tell me about how you are going about – because this is a – so those who are listening are saying, holy cow, I hope I have that problem. <laughs> I mean, right? 20, uh, you know, a, a tenfold increase in demand on what you were expecting. But the, but this is a big challenge because where do you find the resources then to to – to fund that kind of demand. So you've taken some interesting steps. Tell me about how you're going about addressing this issue. Right. So, I mean, I did have, there, there were offers um, to fund a new print run, um, both from distributors and just from like private investors. I mean, there wasn't a lot of offers, Um, but ultimately what I felt most comfortable doing uh, was just sort of running another Kickstarter for the reprints. And so this so, isn't, this isn't just a plain hey uh, rinse and repeat. You're just going to throw throw Gloomhaven up there and just here if you want your copy now you can order it type thing because you're making some changes. You're you're kind of enhancing the game a little bit, correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, a new project on Kickstarter has to be creative, Origi- right? Original, yeah, original creative. and creative. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so we're making some changes to the game, uh, adding a couple components, uh, revising, editing, and adding to the rulebook and the scenario book. Uh, we're also adding a couple additional add-ons um, that weren't in the original campaign, and then I'm also sort of cre- actually creating a new a new set of scenarios while the campaign is running, um, sort of like a community-driven. Uh, scenario uh, sequence um, that I'm really excited about. But I, so I hope all those things together um, justify a new project. <laughs> well, I think they, I think they will. And what's interesting here is, is that now you're going to get. It, it kind of addresses the unknown 
the data point that we're missing here, right? How many people actually want the game? The distributors right. don't know because they've been they've received orders from the retailers. The retailers don't know because they've been just approached by people in the store, so they have an idea. So there's actually not any real data that you're trying to j- j- make a a very significant fi- financial investment on without any real data, right? Right, right, and that's yeah, that's another reason to go to Kickstarter is because, yeah, we're still not really sure how many we need to print. And so we're going to do our best to judge demand, not only from uh, a Kickstarter audience, but also Aldo and I are are talking to distributors during this period as well and, and sort of uh, getting getting orders from them beforehand, right? So not, so you know, not, not when we're sitting on copies, but when we're producing the copies. Got it. Got it. And I gotta I gotta believe that a PhD in physics really likes to have data. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, right? that's where you form a lot of those opinions. And and this must be a, a very challenging thing to not have any of those data points and just kind of be to use a pun, rolling the dice. Right? right. Just rolling the dice. So, so go ahead. Oh yeah. So so yeah, I mean I I'm looking at other projects as well. Like I think there's at least from what I can tell, there is sort of a limit to the Kickstarter audience. Like even if you look at like the biggest projects, I mean, outside of something like exploding kittens, which is, which is pulling in people from, from outside the hobby. But, you know, if you look at like, you know, rising sun on Kickstarter right now or scythe or kingdom death monster, um, you know, it seems like nothing is really going above like say 25,000 backers. Um, so, I mean, that's an interesting data point for me in terms of what I'm expecting. You know, so maybe 5,000 of those are already spoken for in the original Kickstarter. So, I mean, if, if I'm hopeful, um, you know, I'm expecting maybe maybe 20,000 backers like as, as the absolute maximum for this new Kickstarter. Now, what's um, interesting is just a few years ago, Isaac, we were, uh, I heard retailers complaining because a game got backed by 400 backers and they felt that it got such, saturated the market. <laughs> and now we're talking about tens of thousands of copies of the game going out there. We only have a minute or two left. And so in that minute or two, I'm interested in this perspective that you have. I might have to have you just come back on so we can talk about this again. And that is <laughs> sure. what is happening in the industry and what is driving the interest in games like yours, which is Gloomhaven, which is a right. legacy game, persistent, cooperative, card-driven is it, uh, excuse me, a, a card-driven tactical game that's persistent. So that means it changes over time, similar to Pandemic Legacy or Risk right. Legacy. There's obviously something going on in the industry, and I would love to have you come back and talk about that. I got, we've, with just the minute that we have left, what do you think is driving this type of attention? Uh, for, for Legacy games or in just general? For, just for yours, that for Gloomhaven. Or- because you have another project going live here, I think almost by the time this episode goes live, you'll have a, a live project on Kickstarter, and you're talking about twenty thousand backers. What's kind of driving this this huge increase in backers? Um, well, so I, it's I don't know. <laughs> my my philosophy is just to make great games, right? And so you, I mean, you're asking like, what makes this game great, and why people are so excited about it? It is partially that legacy aspect, like that that element of persistence, right? So you're going from one game to the next and you, you have a sense of progression, right? You're leveling up your characters. You're sort of exploring new locations and unlocking all this cool stuff. And it's, 
I mean, it's almost like taking a cue from the video game industry, right? Just that idea of, of constant, like, positive feedback from one game to the next. Oh, I think it, it's really exciting, people. I think you're right. I think that's a very interesting approach to that. Isaac, we're out of time. I, I love this conversation, and I would love to have you back. Would you come back after your Kickstarter campaign's been running for a little while and talk to us about the, the, the things that you've seen are different? Would you be willing to come back on the show? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you so much. You, uh, I, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate being here and talking to you. It was, it was great. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Isaac Childress from Cephalofair Games. His project, Gloomhaven, is going into a second Kickstarter campaign that you can find out there running as we, uh, as we are speaking. I want to thank him for being on the show. Fascinating conversation, and, I, and I'm really enjoying what I learned here. Thanks for listening. Take care.